Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, um, if you want to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. This is the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we probably just need to start right here because there may be some people in the room who, uh, maybe you grew up in a tradition where you didn't celebrate the word, uh, you didn't celebrate Advent, and you don't even know what the word Advent means. So let's just do a little, little precursory work here. Number one, Advent is the season in the church calendar when we, when we prepare to celebrate Christmas and when we prepare to celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. And in fact, Advent is a Latin word that means coming. And so the reason the church settled on using this word to celebrate this season is because this is when we celebrate the coming of Jesus into the world. But it has sort of a dual meaning, right? So Jesus has come, but how many of you understand that he's going to come again? And so Advent is a season of longing as well. Uh, Not just reflecting on that God has come, but in addition... It's a time when we, uh, when we recognize that there are things in the world that are not okay and that we need uh, Jesus to come and establish his, his peaceful government among us, you know? And so if there's any bit of your life that is uh, disordered, uh, disorganized, if there's, uh, if there's even a sense in your own life that things are not okay or that things need to be put back together or we need whoever the heck is supposed to be in charge of this thing to show up and put it right. Which, by the way, that should be everyone, right? Yeah. If you, if you live with that sense, well, let me just, let me name that sense for you. It's called Advent. It's, it's, called, it's called the intuitive notion that every single person alive, whether they're a Christian or not, has on the inside. We know that something Uh, Something is not okay, and we need it to be put back together. And that sense of longing for things to be made right, this is a deeply Christian. uh, This is a deeply Christian emotion, and this is a deeply human emotion, and it is put on display and focused for us in this season of Advent. Uh, We look to Jesus' first coming, but we're also we're longing for his second coming. Now, the church celebrates Advent historically. Uh, one particular way. Uh, Each of the four weeks coming into the Christmas season has a theme. Hope, peace, joy, and love. And so that's what we're going to do at the Vineyard for the next few weeks. We lit the hope candle this morning and every single Sunday leading up to Christmas, we're going to light one more of these candles. And in case you were wondering, the pink one, that's the joy candle. And the white one, well, we light that one on Christmas Eve. That's the Christ candle. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to light some candles for the next few weeks, and we're going to follow along, and we're going to enter into this idea that the world is being made right, and what we really need is we need the person who made the world to come and set things right once and for all. Okay? That's what we need. Okay. Well, that's the introduction. This week is Hope Sunday. So that's what I want to talk to you about for a few minutes. I want to talk to you about hope and patience. And this morning's sermon is called Hope and Patience, parentheses, 400 years. 400 years, that'll become maybe a little more apparent here in a few moments. Do you like the painting this morning? 
This is, this is, um, this is a painting called The Birth of John the Baptist, and there's, there's old Zachariah. You know what he's doing right there? He's writing because he can't talk. His name is John. He's writing it down because he can't talk. And we'll see more of that in the coming weeks, but I thought that was a cool painting. And here's what I want to do. I want to read you the scripture that we've already read once this morning. Can we do that? How many of you know that repetition is good? Yeah. Repetition is good. Thank you. Zynga. Okay, I have to tell you this as well. This is, fun. This is kind of fun. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but people listen to our podcast. Don't you think this is the weirdest thing in the world? It's the craziest thing. So everywhere I go, I meet people who are like, dude, I listen to your all's podcast every week. And who is the person who's laughing? Uh, you know, pe- people know you guys based upon what's coming through our podcast. It's really where I was in England. Everyone's like, yeah, we totally listen to your podcast all the time for our home group. And we like it better when it's, when it's like X, Y, and Z. And I won't tell you what X, Y, and Z is because you get a big head. But it's really funny because they're actually recognizing some of you people. I'm like, oh, yeah, you're just, you're hearing one of the two rays. <laughs> That's basically what you're hearing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's really funny. A few weeks ago, I got an email from someone. Uh, they, live in, they live in Washington, and they, and they listen to the podcast, and they were like, man, the babies were crazy, weren't they? I'm like, yeah, you have no idea, bro. <laughs> you should try preaching through it sometime. Oh, man. That's on the podcast now. High five, Washington guy. All right, here we go. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, He was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son and you're to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That's our text this morning. That's what we're going to look at. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. We're going to talk a little bit about John the Baptist and Elizabeth this morning. But how many of you realize that, that no matter what God is doing in your life, it's never happening in isolation? That's part of what we see in this story. 
This is the beginning of the Jesus story, but I hope you realize that the beginning of the Jesus story doesn't begin with Jesus. It actually begins with John the Baptist and Elizabeth and Zechariah. And so part of the story is that whatever God is doing in your life, it, it didn't just start with you or begin with you. It's not like God picked you out in isolation. You're always connected to some other, much bigger story. And even Jesus, the Son of God, his story doesn't just begin with Mary and Joseph. It began months. Actually, it began thousands of years before. But within the context of the Christmas season, it begins first with John and with Elizabeth and with, with Zechariah. And so part of what we have to understand is, is that um, when Paul says when one, party is, is, when one part of the body is blessed, the whole body can rejoice, like this stuff is real, you know? This is one of the reasons when God begins to do things for someone here at the church, we, we really should rejoice because we know that this could be a precursor to him moving in our lives as well. Yeah, it's never ever in isolation. All right. Well, this is the week of hope, and some of us may be thinking this morning, well, what does any of this have to do with hope? What does this scripture or anything we've talked about up to this point have to do with hope? Well, it's actually, it's actually pr pretty simple. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to imagine that you live in an agrarian, herding society. Imagine no one has an iPhone. Like, like there's nothing. There's no iPads. There's no internet. And you live in an agrarian, herding society. Now, here's the thing about living in an agrarian, herding society. Um, basically, basically, here's the most important thing when you live in a world like that. It's your family, right? Um, here's, here's basically how it works. Um, your personal honor, your safety, your fortune and your stability is all directly related to the size of your family. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. You know? Uh, there's, a reason, there's a reason that historically people had a lot of children. Uh, number one, no birth control. So some of it's just real practical. I don't know if you're aware of this. People are going to have sex. They're going to do that. Thank God. But there's a few reasons why people's families are big. Number one, no birth control. Uh, number two, people had large families to continue the family line. You know, there's just some sense of like, it's in us to, to continue on whatever we have and whoever we are. But then three, three, you need a large family to work the fields and to gather the herds. And then four, you need a large family to become as strong a tribe as you can so that you have a good defense against a hostile and a savage world. How many of you know that, like, back in these days, like, the strong survived, you know? And that's true today to a certain extent as well, but, like, it was, the contrast was so much higher in these times. And so if you don't have a family, bro, you're over. You're over. Game over. You need sons to till the field. You need sons and daughters to, to straighten the house and keep the fire going and to make some bread and to, to feed the lambs and to... Keep the wolves away from your herds and, and to make sure that your neighbor's property line stays where your neighbors are and that some, some strong tribe from the north doesn't come in and, you know, crack dad on the skull and, and take your family and all of your herds and take your daughters away, right? I, have you guys watched the History Channel? <laughs> yeah. This is why you need a big family. All right, why am I talking about this? Because Elizabeth and Zachariah, they got nothing 
Imagine that in this world where this is the reality, imagine you have no children, not even one. And then beyond the practicality of having children and needing them to, to secure your life, to have a fortune, and to make a safe place, imagine that you just want children. And why do you want children? Because people want children. Like it's on the inside of us. On the inside of us. Like, like there are exceptions to that rule, but they are very few and far between. It's, it's, it's an unusual thing to hear someone look at, look at you in the eyes and go, you know what, I don't, I don't want kids. I mean, sometimes people say that, and then you find out five years later they didn't mean that, right? Why? Because it's built into us. But just imagine that, you, that beyond all the practicality, you want children uh, just to love them. Uh, imagine that you want uh, the expression of love that exists between a man and a woman to become something alive in the world. That's what babies are. Babies are the expression of a man and a woman, that love that they have together. It's, it's like a manifest expression of that love made alive in the world. That's why this is so powerful. And then imagine you don't have any of that, none of that. And imagine that there's not really anything you can do about it. 2,000 years ago, you can't go to a genetic doctor. Uh, 2,000 years ago, you can't get uh, in vitro. Uh, 2,000 years ago, you can't take Clomid. 2,000 years ago, there are no specialists. There's nothing you can do. It either works or it doesn't work. And that's it. Now, if that's you, you would probably carry around a good bit of longing. Right? What is that? See, part of what Advent is, it's the season where we can bring our longings before God. That's what it is. Now, maybe, you, maybe you're longing for a kid. Maybe you're longing to have a baby. That's really normal. Oh, this is a perfect year to begin to bring that back before God, right? But maybe your longings extend beyond that. Maybe it's something else. This is when, this is when you acknowledge to God, God, I'm a Zachariah and I'm an Elizabeth and this part of my life is barren and I'm filled with longing. We bring it to him, okay? Here's what I've noticed. When you carry around that kind of longing, you're also probably carrying around a good bit of disappointment and discouragement. Sometimes, there, sometimes there's not a lot of hope when there's that kind of discouragement and longing. But here's the other thing I've noticed. I've noticed that almost without fail, disappointment and discouragement and failure are almost always the, the soil that real Christian hope grows out of. Not the fake stuff, but the Christian stuff. Christian hope almost always grows out of actual disappointment, discouragement, and real failure. So there's a couple things we need to talk about when it comes to hope right up front. Number one, hope is not, is not hallmark sentimentality. Hope is not in any card that you will buy at Hallmark. Uh, real Christian hope is battle-born. When you meet somebody who has, who has the real fruit of the Spirit, hope. When you meet a real Christian and they have real hope, one of the things you can know and one of the things that you'll detect is that it is not um, disconnected and disaffected sentimentality. It is battle-born. You're, you're meeting people who have gone through a thing. The second thing, uh, hope exists in the very same places where, where we experience lack. This is also very important. How many of you understand that it's impossible to hope for something you already have? Yeah. So there is a sense in which hope, real hope, Christian hope, is, is, 
it, it's sharing the same space where we, where we are experiencing some kind of lack. And then thirdly, hope is what is left after all of our own efforts and ideas are exhausted. Because hope is rooted in what we cannot do. Think about Elizabeth and Zechariah. They are old people. And let me tell you, they've been having sex for years. And it is not working. Not working. And hope, the kind of hope that God wants to give us, it exists after all of your own efforts, all of your inclinations, all of your intuition, all the things that you were made to do, all the things that you know how to do, are done and no longer work. Hope is actually rooted in what we cannot do. Zachariah and Liz couldn't have children. Hope is, in this way, the remnant of a whole lot of failure. And hope is what begins to grow after you run out of all the moves you know how to make. See, here's the thing I've learned. As long as I still have ideas, as long as I still have energy and strength, oftentimes in those moments, I'm still evading real Christian hope. Yeah, I'm still trusting in my own ability. Because of that, real Christian hope is rooted in only what God can do. And real Christian hope is an expression of the promises of God. How many of you noticed in the story, Zechariah is just doing his thing, and then he meets an angel of the Lord, and the angel of the Lord begins to prophesy promises to them, right? Where's the hope come from? The hope comes from an encounter, an encounter with the heavenly realm carrying the promises of God. That, that's where our hope comes from. Why? Because ultimately it's in what God can do, and it's not in what I can do, right? So for all of those of us who have longing... Uh, one, of the keys is, one of the keys is to begin to remember the things that God has absolutely told you. Uh, here's the other thing, too. Some of us might be going, well, I'm overwhelmed with longing and disappointment, and I feel like a failure, and I know that God has something more for me, but I don't have any promises. Well, okay, here's, here's something else, too. That's okay. Uh, do what Zechariah did. Uh, go to the house of the Lord and begin to pray. You know? Like... Part of the backdrop of all of this, where does hope grow from? Hope grows from prayer. I mean, it's just really simple. Begin to pray. God answers prayers. You know what? And you may have to pray for a long, long time, but don't give up. Real Christian hope is always the work of God in our lives. When everything else is stripped away, and especially in the spot where you're tempted to be cynical. Now, because this is the nature of hope, there's this one thing that goes with hope that we'd rather not talk about. And it's patience. You cannot have hope without patience. And here's the other part. You can't have patience without hope. If one can only hope for what isn't a reality, then it stands to reason patience is another function of hope. And this is, this is the toughest part. Right? Like we live in a world where we don't want to wait for anything. Does anybody like waiting for anything? Anybody enjoy that? Most of us don't. You know, Tom Petty was right. Wasn't he? The waiting's the hardest part, isn't it? Why don't we put that up? You know what I think we should do this morning? I think we ought to sing. <laughs> For the audio archive, okay? Let's see here. It's a little out of tune, but it'll do. It's good enough for Christian rock and roll. 
Everybody, you might want to hum just a little bit. You just get warmed up, you know? All right, well, here we go. Because waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see one more card. You take it on faith, you take it to the heart. The waiting is a hardest part. Okay, we could do better than that, though, couldn't we? I think we could. I mean, some of y'all actually probably need to sing this song. It's like from the Lord. This is like it could be your prayer. Why don't we? If you're super religious, why don't you just do that? This is a prayer. <laughs> some of you're like, I'm not sure we should sing Tom Petty on a Sunday morning in the middle of a sermon. It's like, well, bro, how long have you been coming to the vineyard? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's try it one more time. Let's try it one more time. And you know, you might have to. It's okay if you if you let it happen. I'm gonna let it happen. You ready? Here we go. One, two. Three, for the waiting is the hardest part. Every day you see one more card. You take it on faith, you take it to the heart. The waiting is the hardest part. Now that's a Christmas song. I didn't. Know, you may not know that. That's an Advent song. You didn't know that was going to happen this morning, did you? Don't tell second service. <laughs> yeah, it takes patience to grow hope. And patience is only grown by waiting. By the way, waiting is a huge theme in Advent. Not just in Advent, but in all of Scripture. One of the things that I've learned about God is that God is going to make you wait. Yep. Let's just do a little survey of scripture. Abraham and Sarah, they couldn't have a baby, right? And when they were 75 years old, they have a meeting with God. They wait 75 years with no children. They have a meeting with God and God tells them, hey, good news, you're going to have a son. And guess how much longer it took for them to have that son? 25 more years. God's going to make you wait. After that, Israel ended up in Egypt. And in Egypt, they became slaves. And how long did they wait in Egypt for God to deliver them? 400 years. Yeah. David was a 16-year-old boy when he was called in from the fields to sit at the table with his brothers and his father. And when he was 16 years old, the prophet Samuel took a horn of oil and poured it over David and said, this guy's the king. How long did it take before David was king? 15 more years. At least, maybe 16. 15 more years. Zechariah and Liz lived their entire lives for a child. And not only did they wait, but their waiting was in some ways a prophetic stand-in for Israel. This is part of the story that we lose touch with unless we really dig into the scriptures. Let's put back up verse 17 for a moment. 
Look at verse 17. This is the Old Testament echo that I hope that you heard. This is when the angel is speaking to John. This is what he, speaking to Liz, this is what he says about John. He'll be a man in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That is an Old Testament pro prophet um, prophecy out of the book of Malachi. And let's read that. I want you to see the Old Testament version. This is Malachi 4. We're going to read the whole chapter because it's so good. The Lord of Heaven's army says this, The day of judgment is coming, burning like a furnace. And on that day the arrogant and the wicked will be burned up like straw. They'll be consumed, roots, branches, and all. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of Heaven's armies. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and the regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all of Israel. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike them with a curse. These are the very last words of the Old Testament. And guess how many years are between these words and the Gospel of Luke with the arrival of John the Baptist? 400 years. Here's one of the things I've learned about God. He will make you wait. God's going to make you wait. And he's not just going to make some people wait, but he's going to make everybody wait. 400 years of waiting. 400 years of looking for the promise. One thing's for sure, and it's this, it's that God is not in a hurry. And some of us might be thinking, well, why does God make us wait? Certainly he doesn't have to. Is he just wanting to torture us? I don't think so. Yesterday I made a list of ten reasons why God makes us wait. I'll just give you three. Here's three reasons why God makes us wait. And hopefully this could be a consolation to us while we hang on. Uh, the first reason God makes us wait is, is this. Uh, the good stuff takes time. Just think about, you could think about almost anything. Anything good. Think about anything that's truly, truly good. It's almost never something that's quick. Right? The great stuff, the good stuff, always takes time. Uh, the best food, uh, the best wine, and the best friendships, all of them take time. I don't know, have you realized this, that the best food is usually slow simmered? Like, is there anything in the world better than, like, a braised roast that's been in the oven in, like, a cast iron thingy for, like, four hours? There's, there's nothing better, right? Yeah. Uh, the best wine, let me just let you in on a little insider knowledge here. The best wine is not the new stuff. A few weeks ago, my very good friend Jason Hagen brought me a bottle of wine that was 47 years old. It was a Spanish Rioja made in 1970. We opened it. We drank it. While we're drinking it, at this point, it's me and Jason and Justin. We're sitting in the little front window at Hardin Coffee because we wanted to share it with Justin. 
Um, and while we're sitting there, Jason says, hey, you guys know that the, that the guys who made this wine, they're probably dead. <laughs> it's an amazing thought, isn't it? Isn't it an amazing thought that, that some of your work could outlive you? Could, could reach into the future and, and give a moment that your life could have an echo and a resonance? Yeah, what is that about? Well, it, here's what it's about. The good stuff always takes time. It was one of the most profound nights of wine drinking I've ever had in my life. There's a, there's a thing that, that happens to wine that can only happen with years and years in the bottle. Years in the bottle. Yeah. yeah. My very best friends, my very best friends are the ones that I've known for decades. Yeah. Can I tell you something? You can't have a best friend in six months. You can have someone you like, but they're not your best friend. Even if you think they're your best friend, they're still not your best friend. You haven't even gotten mad at each other yet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Second reason why God makes us wait. Um, this one's hard, by the way. Waiting strips us of brash impulsivity. This is a big one. Um, how many of you ever get the gimmies? Do you know what the gimmies are? Do you ever, you ever have those moments like, I mean, we're all Americans, so we live with the gimmies, but do you ever have those moments where like the gimmies really get up there and you're like, I just want something new. It's just like, hmm, dude, I want something new. And then you start like dreaming of like the new thing you want. I mean, it could just be like a new pair of shoes, right? You're just like, I want some new shoes or I want a new truck or I want a new house or I want a new wife or I, you just like, it's, you just get the gimmies, you know, it's like, you know. You know what's going to make me happy? It's like if I get something new. You know what's going to make me happy? If, you know, I need a new boat. I just, that's what I need. I need another, I need, I need, I need another vacation. You know, I just, you get into the gimmies, you know? You're just like, dude, you're salivating. You're ready to swipe the card. You don't care. You're just like, chew, let me have it, right? And then I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but, um, well, let me ask you this. How many of you ever got the gimmies? And then like followed through with what your gimme was telling you to do. And then immediately, two minutes later, you regretted it. You were like, God, I don't even like these boots. You know, they hurt my feet. You know, they're $300 and they hurt my feet. I don't even want to wear them, you know. Yeah. Well, well how about this one? How many of you have ever gotten sucked into a late night infomercial and then ended up buying a Ronco rotisserie? Because it's what you really needed, and then you realize that you lived for years and years and years, and you never really needed a rotisserie. And then any time you ever wanted a rotisserie chicken, you just went to Kroger, and Kroger's rotisserie chicken is pretty solid. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but it's solid, right? It'll do. Okay, uh, last question. Uh, how many of you have ever realized that when you had the gimmies, if you somehow just waited for a little bit, the gimmies usually went away. They usually go away unless, unless it's something you really, really, really want, something important. So what does waiting do? <coughs> waiting strips us of brash impulsivity and waiting focuses us on what's truly, truly important. God will make you wait. All right, number three. Waiting makes us mature. Waiting makes us mature. Uh, you know who has the hardest time waiting? 
Children. Children. Uh, a few weeks ago, Rowan completely melted down, which is not necessarily uncommon. But a few weeks ago, he completely melted down because I made him wait until after dinner to have a Jolly Rancher. Not Jolly Ranchers, one Jolly Rancher. Complete meltdown, right? Yeah, he went nuclear. Mm. Why did Rowan go nuclear over a Jolly Rancher? A couple reasons. Number one, he's a kid. Kids are dumb. <laughs> well, let's just think about it like this. He doesn't know what the good stuff is, right? The good stuff is the, the braised roast that I had going for four hours. The Jolly Rancher is not the good stuff. The good stuff is what's in the oven, bro. That's what the good stuff is. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what the good stuff is, the dinner that takes time. He doesn't know how to wait a few minutes for a simple, sweet treat. And by the way, my answer wasn't no. It was simply not yet. Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. See, waiting makes us mature. And it's mature people who know how to handle the promise when the waiting is over. This is a really big deal. By the way, immediacy makes things worthless. Yeah. Candy on demand, worthless. Sex on demand, worthless. Money on demand, worthless. Fortune on demand, worthless. Education and degrees. Have you noticed that all the good stuff... You, you realize you can't get a PhD in two weeks. And we're thankful, right? But the reason a PhD is worth something is because you have to wait and you have to earn it. Yeah, everything that is immediate is almost always worthless. Any of those things on demand calls into question their value. And then when the value is called into question, they're often treated like trash. Yeah. Some of us wonder, are needing, wondering sometimes, like, man, why do I feel like trash? Well, sometimes it's because we haven't learned the mature art of waiting, uh, uh, waiting for things in our life, especially for things that are sacred. And let me just... This isn't really a big part of the talk this morning, but let me just interject this here. Let's talk about sex for a second, okay? All right, some of us are feeling like trash, and one of the reasons we're feeling like trash is we haven't valued sex for what it really is. It's gold. You have to wait. You have to wait. If you don't wait, you're treating it like, like a worthless piece of candy, a, a, a Jolly Rancher before dinner. That's, that's really what it is. And then you wonder, like, why is nothing in my life working? Hang on. Because, because we haven't learned the sacred art of waiting yet, okay? The sacred art of waiting. Um, and by the way, uh, things like sex or uh, earning a degree or putting in the work in any, any area where it takes some time, all of these things are the things that make you a mature person, you know? Um, these are the things that, that make you the kind of person that when you end up being 35 and 40 and 45 and 50, you become the kind of person that other people look to and go, wow, that's, I want to be like you, you know? I want to be like you. Now, some of us in the room, you might, be, you might be thinking, well, is Adam like mad at me? No, Adam's not mad at you. If you feel any guilt, no, that's not coming from me, seriously. Uh, but here's the thing. If you've made any of the mistakes that I'm talking about right now, uh, here's the good news. You can start over today. Start waiting. Start waiting. Uh, the, the maturity will come back into your life. Like, You'll, you'll become a different kind of person. And then all of a sudden, uh, maybe by the time you're 40, 50, or 60, you could be a mature person who has, 
who has a wisdom to offer the world, you know, uh, rather than a person who has tatters. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah, that's what waiting does. It teaches us to be mature. It teaches us to be mature. Um, how many of you have ever, had, ever seen a kid who had everything they wanted all the time? Mm. Mm. Oh, man. Oh, man. Dude. Holy moly. I have resisted giving any parental advice, and I'm going to continue to do that except for this one thing. Okay? Here's the reason I've resisted parental advice. My kids aren't grown. We don't know how they're going to turn out, right? Seriously. I think they're going to be great. It's looking like we're, we're trending right, but who knows? <clears throat> yeah. But I will tell you this. If you want to ruin your kid, give your kid everything they want all the time. Uh, let, let a kid manipulate you and make you feel guilty. Because all you're doing at that point is you're ensuring that no matter how old they are, they will be an immature schmuck. You know, and two-year-olds who poop in their diapers, it's fine when they're two, but when they're 40, it's a freaking scary mess, you know? <laughs> it is. Where is this coming from? Not waiting. Not waiting. By the way, and parents, if you don't make your kids wait, that's fine. That's fine. They won't mature. Here's why it's not going to work out, because God is one day going to make them wait. That's the problem. That's the problem. It, the problem isn't just that... What you and I do, it's that you and I, what we're doing, may or may not be cooperating with what God is absolutely doing. You know, that's the problem, you know? And it, and it teaches children not to, not to align themselves with the ways of God, which is patient. I've told you guys this before, but I'll tell you again. Uh, you can read all four Gospels. One of the things you'll never see Jesus doing is running. It's interesting. Even when Jairus' daughter was dead, guess what Jesus didn't do? Run to the house. He walked. And the story we read a few weeks ago about Lazarus, what did he do? Slowed down. Yeah. These are the ways of God. These are the ways of God. So, God will make you wait. Why? Well, one of the reasons he's going to make you wait is because it makes us mature. And mature people know how to handle the treasure. That's what we do. We know how to handle the treasure. Amen? Amen. All right. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.